0: Welcome to series four of Behind Closed Doors podcast series, Women on the Move. I am Donnie Walford, the founder and managing director of Behind Closed Doors. In today's episode, we are thrilled to be speaking with Susan Newhouse. Susan is a non-executive director and board chair. She is fellow and current South Australian Northern Territory Divisional President of the Australian Institute of Company Directors, a member of the Council of the Australian War Memorial and non-executive director of Aspen Medical, Medical Insurance Group Australia and Carlisle Health. She is chair of the Veterans Advisory Council here in South Australia. Susan is a fellow of the Royal Australian College of Surgeons and has spent over three decades in public and private surgical and academic practice in Australia and overseas. She currently works as a locum surgeon in areas of need. Susan served in the Australian Army, regular and reserve, including deployments overseas. She was awarded the Conspicuous Service Cross and retired at the rank of Colonel in 2011. So Susan Newhouse, we have been so looking forward to our podcast with you today. Do you know I was thinking uh, this morning as I was preparing that we've known each other such a long time. And I know when we met, uh, it was in the airport with your baby, Grace. So tell us how old Grace is. Grace is now 19. Right. So that's how long we've known each other. So, Susan, you've had an amazing career. You're a general surgeon and surgical oncologist by trade. You've been a colonel in the Australian Army uh, Reserve, including a tour of Afghanistan, completed a PhD, held clinical associate professor roles at the University of Adelaide, chair and NED roles on boards, including the president of the AICD in South Australia and Northern Territory. So, I don't know how big time to have children. But anyway, tell us about your career highlights and challenges to date. And I'm sure there's many. Thanks, Donnie. (laughs) I guess
1: when you look backwards, it seems like there's quite a lot in there. But, of course, when I started on this journey... I never would have expected to have been given the opportunities that I've been given. And I think I've just been incredibly fortunate through my life that doors have opened. I suppose it does sometimes take a bit of courage to walk through some of those doors, but nonetheless... I've been given the most extraordinary range of opportunities and some of those experiences are really quite different, but each one has led on to the other. So there are things that you learn from each of those experiences that then give you the skills that enable you to take on the next one and be able to expand from that. And I think also there are skills and experiences that translate across Those roles. So there are some really core things there that help you to bring something different or bring a different perspective to each of those roles. But no doubt whatsoever, I've been very privileged and I've had some amazing opportunities that other people wouldn't have potentially had the same opportunities to have and I'm very grateful for that.
0: I remember a conversation we had many years ago when I suggested you start looking at a board career and you said, what could I bring to a board? So do you remember what your first board role was and how did you transition from, you know, that, I guess, mindset of what could I bring to a board outside of health?
1: Certainly. I mean, my first board was the Repat Foundation Board. A very interesting time to come onto that board, just as there was a major transition in play. And around about the same time, I was also on the Cancer Council Board. So two very different entities in terms of the way that they were governed and the way they were run. And some really powerful lessons to be able to learn from one that you could apply the other so that was a really useful experience but I guess at its core to me many of the things are really the same as the lessons I'd learned from the military around understanding what is your mission why are you there and how are you going to take that journey and that's really a lot of the decision making that boards need to make I mean if you think that boards are there to create strategy and carve that vision out That really remains the same regardless of which entity you're on. And I think it's really around saying how do you bring those skills and experience to help the organisation to deliver on what its actual mandate is.
0: So, Susan, let's talk leadership in the context of health. What does leadership in health look like and does it differ from other industry sectors? And do you think medical practitioners need leadership development?
1: It's a really interesting question, Donnie. And I think for me, leadership is required across every industry sector. I don't think that there's a single sector that you could say leadership is not a requirement here. I guess one of the interesting things from a health perspective has been that if we look at it over centuries, there's been a bit of an assumption that those people who have professional mastery, who've reached the top of their profession, somehow have got innate leadership skills. And I think that's just not the case. Leadership is something that you need to work at, you need to develop. And as healthcare has become more complex, then the leadership demands on people are also more complex, and new skill sets are required. We need to invest in people to understand how to do that because those skills are often quite different from the small team leadership that's needed within the healthcare sector. So, if I give you an example, you know, leadership in the operating theatre is quite a different form of leadership. It still requires small team management. It still requires crisis management. It still requires good communication. But there are different skill sets that are required when you're sitting around the board table and weighing up different considerations or setting strategy, et cetera. So
0: is there a case for appointing people outside of health into executive and CEO positions, do you think, in the health system?
1: Absolutely. Interesting model, when I was in the Army, the Army changed a lot. So originally, when I first joined, the Army command system in health was very much that the leaders in health were themselves clinicians. During the 20-something years that I was in the Army, that model changed to enable what we call general service officers, so professional health administrators but not clinicians, to walk side by side with clinicians and then take on those leadership roles. And that's really important because that group of people were, to some extent, freed up from their clinical responsibilities and could focus on what was required in a leadership sense, but they were also connected across in an almost diarchy type way and understood the clinical environment. And I think that's key. If you don't understand the pressures that clinicians are under, if you don't understand what's happening on the ground in your workforce, then leadership's going to be more challenging. But is that any different to any other environment where we say of our directors and our CEOs that they need to walk the walk and understand precisely what's happening, whether that's at the customer level or whether that's on the workshop floor.
0: I guess it's just a bit more critical, isn't it, if you get the clinical health wrong. So you would have seen some very critical decisions and leadership decisions that had to be made that meant people's lives, surely?
1: Absolutely. And I think that really brings home the importance of leadership in terms of being clear about why you're there, what you can achieve, what you can't achieve and what constraints you're working under because when you're working in resource-constrained environments, the reality is very clear that you cannot do everything. You cannot save everybody. You cannot practise to a level that you would perhaps consider as a minimum basic level here in Australia where we have so much around you and that can be really hard. But they're the hard decisions, you know, directors have to make hard decisions and leaders have to make hard decisions.
0: So when you had a tour to Afghanistan, you actually had small children and my understanding is that there was a high level of confidentiality about where you were being posted and for how long. How did you cope as a mother as well as a surgeon and also a colonel? I mean, you you had very, very different hats to wear. Do
1: you remember now how you coped? It's interesting to look back and I do remember the night before I left for Afghanistan, kissing my girls goodnight. And that was one of those just really powerful moments, I think, where the reality just absolutely hit me between my eyes. And it raised a lot of questions for me about how is that different? You know, we've sent men off to war, we've sent fathers off to war for centuries. You know, how is it different to be a mother going to war? What does it say about your commitment to your job, to your role? What would it say, you know, what would your daughters think of that? If you were to come home, would they look at that and say that that was a betrayal of your role as a mother? Or would they look at that and say there was mum doing, you know, what she was trained to do? So for me, it was really interesting. It just sort of started to unpack a whole can of worms, I suppose. Then when I was in Afghanistan, it was confronting from the opposite dimension. So I only saw one member of the female species when I was in Afghanistan. And I mostly dealt with Afghan fathers, so their their boys were brought in, and I dealt with their fathers. And I found myself wondering almost the reverse thing, which was, what did they think of us? What did they think of this really strange, you know, female creature wearing the uniform of a foreign army, who they were about to entrust the life of their only son to? And what did that say about women, about women's roles, about women's education? What would they take away from that? And so for me, that's really what opened this journey to taking an academic view of running a research program, looking at what were the roles of mothers and how did that differ. But also, I guess, unpacking the stories of women who'd served in war and how that came about and how that affected them and what their views were of that. It's not better, it's not worse, it's just different. And of course, there's a third iteration now, which is hard to deal with, I suppose. But looking at Afghanistan now and just the gutting footage of seeing Kabul fall to the Taliban recently. And then, of course, TK, which was where I was working, fall to the Taliban. And you just find yourself wondering, what do we leave behind? What will the women who've had 20 years of education and freedom take with them? that's really hard to look at to say will they have those memories of having that education and having that freedom and will that be able to persist through any future challenges and I suppose for me I go back to Bougainville and in Bougainville of course after the Troubles there was no literacy there was no education and yet it was the women who brought that through the next generations so The midwives passed down their knowledge by word of mouth with no paper, no records, no books, no anything, no equipment. But they managed to do that through generations. And I think I have great confidence from that about what can be preserved and what can be passed down.
0: That's really interesting. So as important lessons go, what have you learned that's been really important in your health career? And what's been really important in your board career? What is that one key lesson you've learned in both those spheres?
1: I think the most important lesson is about humility and understanding that you can't do everything and you can't fix everything. Things will go wrong and sometimes you have control over that and sometimes you don't and that on the journey regardless of how hard you try or how good you are you are going to get bruised you're going to fail at things and there will be things that weigh very heavily on you and it doesn't matter whether you're talking about the extremes here which is as a surgeon people die and that's hard to deal with. In the boardroom, you'll sometimes make bad decisions and those bad decisions will have consequences. And sometimes no matter how hard you try, it's not enough or you don't speak up when you should or you do say things perhaps when you shouldn't. And I think for me, it's it's understanding that we are all human and we all need to learn on this journey we need to be willing to look at ourselves and say, which bits did I do well and which bits didn't I do well? And to own that and to recognise that sometimes you do look in the mirror and you don't like what you see, but that's where the real opportunity is. That's where the real growth opportunity is to be able to say, how can I do this better? But the flip side of that, I think, is also to be able to say, how do I forgive myself for being human? For being like, every other human that has and ever will walk the planet for being fallible and human and making mistakes and then having the courage to get up the next day, brush yourself off and recognise that you're not on this journey by yourself. There is no problem so big or so unique that someone hasn't had it before or that someone won't lean in and help you with it and that I think is the core of humility.
0: And our lifelong lesson is you really do learn from your mistakes. I don't know anyone who's never made a mistake, but if we go through our life thinking we can't make mistakes, then we're not going to have those greatest learning experiences, are we?
1: And they're often the most powerful. Definitely Not necessarily enjoyable, but certainly powerful. (laughs) And can I just say, I think that's where I've really learned that I came to the sisterhood late, but it is really where I've learned the power of the sisterhood. I mean... At times when I have most needed it, it's been women like the women in your networks and your groups who have really leaned in and stepped up and just been there. And that is so powerful and so supportive and I may have been a late learner, but, I'm definitely... <laughs> <You got there. laughs> but I definitely do believe in the power of women supporting each other.
0: So, Susan, we'd love to hear about your book, Not For Glory, A Century of Service by Medical Women to the Australian Army and its Allies, which reminds us that women have played vital and extraordinary roles in service of their country during times of war. So what was the inspiration behind the book?
1: Tony, look, I really started this journey probably in Afghanistan. I don't know why, but I was challenged to write a story of all the women surgeons particularly, but women doctors in the army And I thought, oh, that will take me five and a half minutes. I know them all. Then when I drilled into things, I discovered that there were all of these amazing women who had served in various military roles over the last century, particularly in the First World War. And as I dug, I found more and more and more. And their stories were just amazing. And I couldn't believe that I hadn't heard of them, that I didn't know about what they'd done. And as I discovered whole hospitals on the Eastern Front being run by largely Australian women who paid their own way to go over there, who were working under tentage in the snow under the harshest of conditions. It just became a real passion for me to uncover these and tell the stories. And I think I'm, you know, it's my great shame that I didn't know these stories beforehand, but I really want the next generation to know what these women did and Women traditionally, I guess, do get written out of history to some extent. And so part of this was to write their stories back and hear their voices again about the courage that they showed. And there's nothing I've done in my career that could even come close to what these women did. They worked under the most extraordinary circumstances, really harsh conditions, just amazing. So, yeah, getting those stories out has been really important to me. And as you know, that's finally, after a very long period of time, become an audiobook, which has been read by the beautiful Helen Hopkins, who played one of the World War One characters in the play, Hallowed Ground, Women Doctors at War. So it's been a real learning experience also just in terms of writing and books and production to, to go on this journey and some amazing creatives who've contributed to it. So as much fun as it is really important to me.
0: For those of our listeners that didn't experience that fantastic play, *Hallowed Ground, is there any opportunity that they could download it? Is it in, in on a documentary or something online?
1: There isn't. I think the closest would be to listen to Helen's renditions on the audiobook. Her quotes particularly about Churchill's comments about women and Queen Victoria's comments about women and her characterisation of the World War I characters is just extraordinary. So Fantastic.
0: That's something that I absolutely recommend that our listeners listen to then. So
1: finally what's next for you Susan? Well there's an interesting question Tony. (laughs) I don't know to be honest. I'm at one of those, you've caught me at one of those incredible inflection points that we all have from time to time where I am just in the process, I suppose, of recalibrating or rebalancing my portfolio and looking at the areas where I can make a contribution. So for me, it's really around doing that kind of deep thinking work about where is it that my skills and my experience can be put to most value? Uh, What are the areas where I need to encourage somebody else to step up and take a role on? So, I've got a lot on the go at the moment. <laughs> I've got some fabulous board roles which I'm really enjoying and have real impact both on the national and the international stage. So, they will get my energy and attention. And then I've got a couple of creative projects on the go as well.
0: Oh, wonderful. Oh, well, maybe another podcast series to hear about those creative projects. Susan so amazing always inspirational you're an amazing woman i'm so inspired by you
1: thank you donnie and thank you for everything you do to support so many women not just in south australia but nationally thank you so much next time
0: thanks for listening to women on the move the behind closed doors podcast don't forget to subscribe so you never miss an episode. To find out more about Behind Closed Doors, visit www.behindcloseddoors.com where you can find the full range of membership options. Women on the Move was recorded on Ghana lands and is a Narrative Network audio production.